electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to help you save money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put days like today in perspective. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. On a hideous day for the market, I mean really hideous, with the Dow plunge, 543 points. Sell, 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 sell. S&P plummeted 1.84%. And the Nasdaq nosedive 2.60%. The house of pain. Some of the richest people on Wall Street desperately want the Fed to get ahead of the curve on inflation. So let me give you some plain English rather than gibberish. That means they want the Fed to wreck the economy and destroy jobs in order to push down the price of everything. They say inflation is so bad that the Fed may have to raise interest rates rapidly, more rapidly than we were thinking. And when that happens, no stock is safe. We hear this drum beat endlessly. It's like the rich inflationists want stocks to get crushed. Hey, by the way, many of them do. Many of them are short stocks or have a lot of cash on hand. They want to buy stocks much lower. Who can blame them? I just want to remind you that while the Federal Reserve will absolutely put pressure on the stock market, at the end of the day, we're investing in companies, not trading cards or majelica pottery or pieces of eight. And it makes no sense to uniformly dismiss every company out there just because of what the Fed does. It's absurd. You think Microsoft said, hey, you know what? We want to buy that Activision Blizzard, but Jay Powell's going to wreck the economy, so let's postpone. Nope, they saw the stock was way too cheap and went ahead and agreed to pay $70 billion for it. Same with Unilever, smart company, monster $69 billion bid for GlaxoSmithKline's consumer business. They don't care if the European Central Bank needs to raise rates. They want to spend to make money for you. Now let's talk about a company that really got crushed. It was a major part of the Dow Jones Industrial's uh, folly today. The company I worked at in the 80s. Let's talk about Goldman Sachs. Goldman reported today. Here's what we learned. The company capped off a year in which it had record net revenues, record net earnings, record earnings per share. They were number one in mergers and acquisitions, number one in equity, number one in equity-related offerings, highest global market net revenues in 12 years, record asset management net revenues, and record consumer and wealth management revenues. So you think, hey, that stock's got to explode higher, right? Nope. It was down almost 7% at one point, down about 10%. 
You think Goldman must be radioactive with that kind of decline, something that we don't know? Well, I put my Geiger counter to it, and I found nothing. Even as everybody and his brother was saying that compensation was exploding and Goldman would be crushed by inflation. It's just not true. Goldman's not desperate to find new people and willing to pay the millions. They actually paid less this year than last. I mean, go read the documents. Oh, then, and then, well, maybe this is as good as it gets. That's that last great quarter scenario. Entirely, certainly possible. But Goldman's business was supposedly as good as it gets in 2016, in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, earning almost $60 per share in 2021. I mean, every year was better than the last. Every year that was supposed to be worse was turned to be better. No COVID asterisk, just better. We did hear some disquieting things from J.P. Morgan last week about how Jamie Dimon's talking about outspending all of his financial technology competitors. He, he, he does compete against them. Uh, Goldman, not so much. That said, the analysts are forecasting a total collapse in Goldman's earnings this year. The collective wisdom, if you can call it that, says that Goldman will earn $40 this year, fully one-third less than it did last year because of increased expenses. But when you go over the fine print, one thing's clear. Goldman Sachs is pretty much in complete control of its expenses. If some M&A partner is going to earn $10 million this year because he brought in $60 million in fees, and then those fees fall to $40 million, that partner's not guaranteed to make $10 million again. He may, may not even make $2 million. I know the firm. It's variable. Both ways. That's how the bonus structure works. They're a control and bonus. Look, I know enough about trading. Thank you, training ground Goldman. That when you get this kind of big selling like we saw in the stock today, it, it, the sellers aren't done. It means there's more to come. But just like the market's made up of individual stocks, the financials are made up of individual companies. And since when is Goldman's advice not given a premium? You think that's robo-advice? You think companies spend $70 billion and they want robo-advice? No. Ridiculous. Let's go deeper into today's lunacy. There's this aircraft company. There's actually one or two of them. Let's call it Boeing. We got two analyst recommendations for Boeing, in part because business is about to turn up around the world, and in part because all the terrible things that happened between 2019 and 2021 are really unlikely to happen again. Sure, Boeing could get a new CFO, and that CFO might say, hold it, we need to raise more money if we're going to expand as much as we want to and not wreck our balance sheet. But as, as I said in our new morning meeting video, available only to subscribers of the CNBC Investing Club, come on, members, bring it on. I think this is the year that the 787 gets Reapproval. It's the year when airlines realize they don't have enough planes, 737 MAX, when they can staff their airplanes again. It's the year of Boeing. So circling back, should Goldman Sachs really be down because Grim Reaper Pal wants everyone to make less money? Goldman's more of a get richer, die trying organization, not a get richer, get palled outfit. How about Boeing? If rates go up a quarter percent, do you really think there'll be some doofus airline executive who says, I don't want enough planes. I don't, I, don't, I don't need those planes. I don't need the planes. I can serve. I, I forget the new customers, all right? Let's just make as uh, little money as possible. No, no, that's not going to happen. How about a half a percent? Full percent? Percent and a half? No, they're going to buy the darn planes. Do I want to be in housing if the Fed takes rates up huge? Well, less than I would be if the Fed were cutting numbers. How about furniture? Maybe not so much. A pow. You know what? People still have to wear clothes. Unless the Fed says from now on, we don't want anything to be worn but denim and Hanes brand T-shirts, and everything must come from Burlington or TJX. I think the industry will be fine. Will J-Pal really maybe come down hard on Brioni, Applesania, Bruno Cuccinelli? Look out. Is the bell tolling for Porsche? How about high-performance data centers? Amazon? No, of course not. What's happening is we have to get all of the scaredy cats out of this market. Many of them are also fat cats, by the way. And then we can start thinking about individual companies and owning a stake in them. When we started our morning meeting for the Investment Club this morning, I wrote the word yikes on my board. Yikes. And said that yikes really isn't much of a strategy. It's just what people did. Just because so many people seem to use it as a guide doesn't mean it's right. When you pick stocks, you're owning pieces of companies, not interchangeable bits of paper. 
And if you regard investing as owning companies, then right now what you're seeing is Goldman Sachs, premier investment bank, selling it a little less than six times last year's earnings because it allegedly can't repeat the great year it just reported. Except that's what the bears say every year. They could be wrong again. The world says these terrific results were mixed. What happens if they get less mixed? Will we pay less for a company that's less mixed? Maybe we'll pay more. You decide. The world says Goldman's not doing as well as expected. But if you look at book value growth as an apples-to-apples measure, it trumps J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and City on a one-year, a three-year, a five-year, and even a ten-year basis. I mean, it absolutely crushes them. Bottom line. Go ahead. Wait until Morgan Stanley disappoints tomorrow. Hmm, who knows? PNC. I don't know. How about the Bailey building alone? Wait till that collapses. Or you can take my approach and consider that Goldman Sachs is a place where it's almost impossible to get a job, a place that offers terrific proprietary advice that corporations have always paid a premium for for decades and decades. And right now, you, you can get the stock for $70 less than where it was two and a half months ago. There. I think it's a steal. Mitch in New York. Mitch. Hi, Jim Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Okay, about a week and a half ago, Linde was at 352.18, then dropped to 336.28. Today, at 321.16, down 7.58, I heard that with improving industrial production worldwide, Linde is set to gain from the recovering industrial gas demand. Do you see the share price increasing and maybe a stock split in the future? Don't know about the stock split, but Jeff Marks and I discussed this very issue for the investing club this morning. I said, when do we buy this, Lindy? It's down again. It's down again and down again. He reminded me, listen, you know, we might be able to get it cheaper. We got it under 300. But I agree with your sentiments, Mitch. I think that Lindy is right. I think its company's going to do well. I think you have to start picking away at the stock down seven. Hayden in Oklahoma. Hayden. Hey, Jim. Hope you're doing well. This is Hayden from Oklahoma. I've been invested in AMC since January of last year. I know you aren't the biggest fan of the stock. No. However, I'm curious to know why you would want to stay away from the stock on the precipice of a short squeeze, absurd short interest, over 90% owned by retail. Um, Look, quite frankly, the current price does not matter when there's still billions of naked shorts that must be covered. And with the overall market, you know, it's sort of a goalie. You almost have to wonder if there's major liquidity issues within the hedge funds that are short. Well, I mean, look, it could be. Uh, I, I think the company should have offered even more stock. I think, you know, look, you got one of these periods where if anything has a lot of debt, that stock goes down. And that's the way to look at it. And it doesn't seem to matter whether there's a short squeeze or not. Adam Aaron's done a great job keeping it afloat, though. Let's go to Charles in Virginia. Charles. Hey, how you doing, Jim Kramer? How are you, buddy? I'm having a good day. Thanks for the uh, uh, question. How about you? I'm doing wonderful now. I'm a great fan. I just want to say I'm so grateful for you having me on. I'm excited. Thank you very Excellent. much. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, Mr. Kramer, I was wondering, uh, I remember that you had kind of featured Unity software on your show maybe sometime last year, and I kind of built up a position, and it kind of had a run last year. And uh, since then, it's kind of fallen back. I haven't really seen any news on it. I was wondering, is this a keeper or shot sweeper? Well, I mean, the reason why it's going down is because it's not making money. The reason why it's a great investment is because John Riccatello has a multi-year strategy and has got one of the best metaverse situations going. Do I think that the stock should be bought here at $32 billion when it's losing money? I would buy a little. 
and I'd buy it staged, say buy 112, then maybe 106, then maybe 98. You buy a little bit. They wanted to buy 200 shares, you buy 50 tomorrow, and you buy 50 on the way down. That's how we do it with the investing club. I can't tell you otherwise. Tons of lunacy in the market today. We have to get all the scary cats and maybe some of the fat cats out of the stock market. And then we can start thinking about individual companies and owning a stake in them. Because, by the way, that's what we do. I think a stock like Goldman Sachs is getting to be a steal. Not yet. They're big sellers. But you get my point. On Mad Money tonight, oil soared to its highest level in seven years. Worrisome. What could the remainder of the year hold for the hot commodity? I'm talking to RBN Energy's Rusty Brazil. And Airbnb's founder and CEO now said he's going to start living on Airbnb by staying in a different town or city every few weeks. Should investors follow his lead? Maybe even move into the stock. I'm going to give you my take. And a knack for SPACs. Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. is expected to close its deal with sports betting group Supergroup in the coming weeks. I don't like SPACs, but how about this one? What are the odds of a favorable return? I'm talking to the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, this new year has been rough for the stock market. It's been fabulous for the energy space, with oil prices shooting up to the mid-80s for the first time since 
2014. Can this oil rally continue? And what else is happening in that in the patch? When it comes to energy, my favorite analyst by far is Rusty Brazil. He's the CEO and principal energy markets consultant at RBN Energy. And he's also right, which is what I like. This weekend, he and his team published their top 10 prognostications for 2022. And this year's list has a lot of interesting calls. So let's, well, don't take it from me. Let's go to Rusty. Rusty, welcome back to Mad Money. Hello, Jim. Good to see you. All right, Rusty, first I got to start because it's the obvious. Goldman says it's going to 100. It hit it at the highest since 2014. I know it's not necessarily a, a top of the prognostication list because it's a little commodity oriented. But what do you say? 100 or 50? Which way is going? I think it's going to 100, Jim. I mean, what's going on right now? You know, it's political issues and geopolitical issues and what's happening in, uh, uh, in uh, UAE and drone attacks in Ukraine, all that kind of thing. And that's got that's got crude oil up to the highest price it's been since October the 13th of 2014, just like what you said. Uh, but there's an awful lot of momentum around what's happening out there. Aside from the fundamentals, you remember what happened back in in, in November where it just looked like that so much of the market really wanted to push prices into the triple digits, into that $100 range. And then COVID happened, and the whole thing went kofui. Well, those folks are back, and this time I think they're going to make it happen. The only question is when and for how long. Wow. Well, if it's when and for how long, then I have to believe that with the Permian, the number's the highest in December that they've ever been, is a great place to take advantage of it. Now, I know you don't recommend individual stocks per se, but perhaps you can tell us who's got the best break even so then we can make our decisions. Well, I, I don't even know if I can tell you that, Jim. I can just tell you that most of the producers have break evens in the 30s and 40s. So if we're talking about prices that are netting these guys back to something in the 80s or 90s or even higher, uh, then heck, it's party time. Everybody's making money. Well, if that's the case, I know that uh, your number one prognostication, waves of deals are coming to exploit public company energy transition, transition optics. Now, this could be situations where larger companies want to get better on the ESG side. So what? They sell to smaller companies or to private equities because these are well, all going to move pieces. things. They sell pieces to, to smaller companies. The public companies are the guys that have the, the, the focus on ESG. Uh, the, the, the ESG cops are looking at those guys, but the smaller companies, the private companies, they're not under nearly so much scrutiny. So you have the public companies that are doing just simple deals. They're just selling some acreage to the privates. And then you've got some situations where like I'm a public company. I own the, the, the royalty. I own the, uh, uh, the, the rights to produce uh, the crude oil and natural gas. And I'm, I, I'm going to get a, a royalty on that if I sell that to somebody else and obligate that party to drill that acreage and they make the money by drilling in the acreage and I make money by getting a royalty on the acreage that I couldn't drill because of Wall Street's on my back. Wow. There's a lot of opportunity there then. And it there's seems a like, lot of opportunity there. Right? And that's the reason it, we think it also there, seems like a lot of, a lot of deals. Bit, look, if we got hundred dollar oil rusty and it's not controlled by us then we would have to think that the pioneers, the Diamondbacks, the Conicos, can really start pumping more and not wreck the price. They, they could. And, and my sense, Jim, is that everybody's looking around uh, and saying somebody needs to go first. Uh, and and if, if, if somebody would challenge 
the conventional wisdom, and let's talk about what the conventional wisdom is right now under a scenario like we've been in for the last year and a half where uh, where we've got constrained uh, capital spending. Uh, And it's constrained capital spending because Wall Street's looking over my shoulder. Well, you know, uh, all I've got to do is is drill a well. And at the kind of prices we're talking about here, I'm going to make a 70 or 80 percent discounted cash flow rate of return. Or I can take that money to drill that well and I can give it to my shareholders and they can go invest it at what? Three percent, five percent, something like that. So So it, it. it's at some level, it doesn't make any sense to forego opportunities like that. But if I have to, if I'm stuck in a situation where I have to do that, then I'm going to make sure that I can get as much of that return as I possibly can. So if I can't drill it, I'm going to make sure that somebody else can drill it. And I'm going to try to get a PC action. Oh, well, so what happened? We thought that electric cars were going to take over. We thought that the ESG movement was going to make it so oil got uninvestable. We felt that basically oil was dead on arrival. And then this just occurred. And it's occurred in one year. People felt it's over. I think last year was the beginning of a move, Rusty. Do you agree with me that it could just be the beginning of a giant wave here? I think what happened both here and, of course, in Europe as as well, as the world figured out that we're going to go through an energy transition, no question about it, but it's going to take a long time to get there, and we've got to have a lot of hydrocarbon energy in the meantime. That's the only way the energy transition can possibly happen because it's just not going to happen by flipping a switch. So it's going to be years and we have to be sure that we make the right investments to be able to get to the energy transition world whenever that actually occurs. Well, one last question, Rusty. If Russia invades Ukraine and it's a cold winter in Europe, aren't we going to see a major dislocation in natural gas that lasts more than a week? Well, uh, you know, we, we saw a major dislocation in, in natural gas in, in Europe. Uh, two months ago when natural gas got up to $60 an MMBTU, you know, 12 times what it was here in the United States. And what happened when, when that occurred is that the European uh, energy companies bought a lot of LNG. They bought a lot of U.S. LNG. They bought LNG from other countries. They bought it in such a way that the LNG that was going to Asia turned around and actually headed wow. to Europe. That's the only way that Europe is going to survive if your scenario turns out to play out that way. Well, I got to tell you, Rusty, I, I, you know, I believe in oil now. I, I believe in the companies that are doing as I tell you, as we talk all the time. There's so many better companies doing what's right. Uh, north of 100, this whole group can be uh, bought. Everything can be bought. I want to thank you, Rusty, for being always available. Those, everybody should be getting this newsletter. I read it every morning. The 10 predictions were fabulous. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Okay, that's Rusty Brazil. He's the CEO and Principal Energy Markets Consultant at RBN Energy at 6.04 today. I got his bulletin, and I said, I got to have him on air. May have money's back here for the break. Coming up, workplace flexibility is flexing its muscles. Can Airbnb cash in on a mobile population and the privacy they seek? Kramer's got the bull case next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. For the last two months, we've been living through the growth stock apocalypse. Thursday, the Federal Reserve's new plan to crack down aggressively on inflation. We've seen lots of high-flying tech stocks get beaten into a pulp, and I actually don't see many of them coming back anytime soon, which is why I keep telling you to circle the wagons around companies that make real stuff or provide real services in order to generate real profits. You know, the, my theme, the investing club, I'm all over it. That is the theme for 2022. However, the bloodbath in the growth stocks has started to create some buying opportunities especially after another hideous day like today. You just have to be a little more selective. You have to start asking a key question. Are they making money or are they losing money? Or, as we say in the investing club, more money, fewer problems. For example, most of the recent IPOs from the class of 2020 and 2021, they've been absolute disasters. I mean, I can't, I, I was going over the CNBC, the millennial list. It's like, I, I can't, it's like a horror story. Their stocks are the changeling. Their stocks are too expensive. And they usually trade on sales, pre-revenue, as they call it, not earnings, because the earnings are non-existent. Sometimes the sales are non-existent, which makes them totally toxic in an environment where we're worried about raging inflation and rising interest rates. You know that book I've thrown at you so many times. But there's always an exception, and I've got one of them for you. Airbnb. I think this is one of those infants that's been thrown out with the growth stock bathwater. While Airbnb gets grouped with the recent IPOs because it came public 13 months ago, I mean, it's kind of, there's nothing you can do. It came public. <laughs> it's when it happened. Unlike its peers, this thing is actually, are you ready, Ski Daddy? Profitable. That makes a huge difference in a market that suddenly cares about earnings at all costs. At the same time, we know these guys have totally disrupted the lodging market. In an environment where there are close to a million new Omicron cases per day, Airbnb remains the safest way to travel, much less risky to rent someone's house rather than taking a chance with a hotel where tons of people give you a breakthrough infection, whether you're waiting to check in or, most importantly, in an elevator. But, of course, this market's not that discerning. It's annihilating everything that looks like a high-growth stock, whether it's making money or not. And that's why Airbnb has pulled back from 212 in mid-November to 154 and change today, even though they make something and they do something. Worth noting that it initially plunged all the way to 149 in December, then bounced hard back to the 160s before giving up some of those gains again. So the stock seems to have a nice floor of support, a handful of points below where it's currently trading. So what makes me so confident about this one, especially after downgrade today by a boutique investment firm that sent in tumbling $9.30 to 154 Why aren't I more, let's say, turned off by it? First off, there are a lot of stocks that absolutely need to be sold when the Fed begins a rate hike cycle. But I don't think Airbnb is one of them, though it's acting like that. It's been painted with the same broad brush. My feeling is that people have been selling this one without much thought because it came public during that period, the heyday. And it seems like the kind of online service that's gone out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, because we know there are a ton of online services stocks that are being sold. I think that's wrong. 
Airbnb is not like the price to sale stocks because it's been profitable for years on an earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization basis. Hey, we got to find something to buy that's got growth, right? People are treating this like it's a brand new tech play pre-revenue, but it's actually a mature enterprise. When COVID hit two years ago, they used that as an opportunity to restructure the business, creating a much leaner cost structure. In the end, Airbnb was actually more profitable in 2020 than it was in 2019. Has anyone mentioned that to you? I find it extraordinary. And look, it's not just the EBITDA numbers. Airbnb has reported a string of excellent results. When they delivered the most recent quarter in November, they actually posted outright positive earnings per share, not adjusted numbers. Unlike so many of the newly public peers, numbers I can't really understand. While they only gave explicit revenue guidance for the fourth quarter, management also gave us some qualitative commentary that was incredibly bullish. Talking about greater year-over-year margin expansion than they saw in the previous quarter, you know, look, if it was like an industrial, we'd be buying a hand over fist. Plus, right now, Airbnb is on track to earn a buck per, per share this year. And then they'll see that growing steadily to $4 per share in 2025. However, I've got to tell you, when I look at the estimates, I think these numbers look incredibly light. Airbnb generated more than a billion dollars in earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization just in the third quarter. And that translated into a buck 22 of earnings per share. That's a single quarter, albeit their strongest of the year. In 2022, they're, they're on track to generate $1.8 billion in EBITDA. Yet the analysts see that that's translating only to a buck of actual earnings. I, that seems wrong to me. I wouldn't be surprised if they can earn a buck fifty per share this year. In other words, I think Airbnb is poised to deliver a series of upside surprises in 2022. And upside surprises are what allow stocks to rally. I bet that helps this thing decouple from the beaten down IPO complex. That whole era, that whole class, it's got to break out. Second, if Omicron burns through the population rapidly, as it seems to have done in the the, uh, countries where it first appeared, then we can quickly get back to normal which would be a huge boost for the whole travel industry. We're already seeing promising signs that Omicron has peaked in the Northeast. I'm betting leisure travel comes back sooner than business travel because that's what we've seen every time COVID has receded. And believe me, that's one of the things that's great about this. This is leisure travel. I don't want to be levered to business travelers because of Zoom. But even if I'm wrong and we keep getting hit with worse variants, I still feel pretty good about Airbnb's prospects. As we've seen throughout the pandemic, this has become the safest way to travel because it gives you a space you can control. No time in the lobby with strangers, no packed elevator rides, no wearing of masks while walking down the hall. That's why I'm not particularly worried about Omicron crushing Airbnb's numbers right now. Finally, if we can put the pandemic and the Fed aside for a moment, this remains a tremendous long-term growth story. I don't know anyone who disagrees with that. Airbnb has transformed the entire lodging industry, and now they practically control their slice of the industry. I don't think it will ever change back. It'll just get stronger. This was true even before the pandemic, because Airbnb simply gives you a better value than what most hotels can offer. Let me put it this way. There's a reason Expedia bought HomeAway, parent company of Verbo, VRBO, back in 2015. There's a reason Marriott rolled out an Airbnb invitation, Homes and Villas by Marriott, in 2019. But nobody's come close to Airbnb's success with this model because they've already got an excellent brand and a huge installed base of both hosts and travelers. This company is what's known as a category killer. They've become the dominant player in the space, and anyone who tries to compete with them gets directly laid to waste. That's what we're looking for. The moat. The moat? Good that you ask. It's more than a surrounding river. It's like it's a surrounding river with Class 5 rapids. No one's getting through it. Plus, thanks to the pandemic, many more people have now tried out Airbnb, and I bet lots of them stick with it once the world goes back to normal because it really is an incredible value. I love it. 
At the same time, the rise of remote work makes it easy for people to travel without using up their vacation days. You can just stay at an Airbnb somewhere sunny and work from there for a couple of weeks. In fact, just today, CEO Brian Chesky, I love this, a longtime camera fave, said he's going to start living on Airbnb, moving to a different town every few weeks. The last time we spoke to him, he explained that in the second quarter of half, uh, half of Airbnb's business, second quarter, half Airbnb's business was people booking times longer than a week, and a fifth of the business was people booking monthly days. It's not just a travel service now. At some point, they're just subletting uh, homes, and that's a huge new space. I think this is incredible. Don't forget, people just, if they're cooped up, they just go and save somebody's place over the weekend. The bottom line, look, I know this market is totally hostile to newly minted growth stocks. That's why Airbnb is now down 27% from its high. Maybe it goes down 30%. Hey, maybe it goes down 40%. Stage your buys. Get bigger as it goes down, like we do in the investing club. I think this is a fabulous long-term winner that can beat Wall Street's earnings estimates. And as they deliver those better-than-expected numbers, the stock should be able to make a major comeback. Look, you don't know when a growth stock's going to stop going down. But if it's profitable like Airbnb, then it gets cheaper as it goes lower, which means you can justify buying it on the way down as it invariably overshoots and you need to be there when that happens let's go to jay in washington jay jim booyah booyah jay what's up uh well i'm calling today about a travel stock um i'm interested in knowing what your feelings are regarding booking holdings I bought the stock, um, formerly Priceline, when Jeff Boyd was the CEO. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, just wondering if you see more downside risk for this stock. I actually think that stock hasn't fallen enough. I think that when I look at it, and as much as I admire the company, it's just not down very much from its high compared to a lot of other of these uh, major growth companies. It is profitable, but I'm not paying 55 times earnings when I got companies like Goldman Sachs that I'm paying six times earnings. It just doesn't work for me. All right. I think Airbnb is a fabulous long-term winner. Notice I'm saying long-term, not saying tomorrow. They can deliver better than expected earnings this year. The stock should be able to make a major comeback. Much more made money at including my exclusive with Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. Ahead of the SPAC's merger with Supergroup, could the newly listed sports betting stock be a home run for investors or just another dud in this business? I'm talking to a man who's a part of the deal. Then earlier today, Microsoft announced its plans to acquire Activision Blizzard, all-cash deal. They had nearly $70 billion. So what did Microsoft see in Activision that others didn't? I'm going to reveal it. And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last week, we talked about the insanely competitive online sports gambling business, where a host of players keep offering expensive promotions in order to grab market share. I'm very worried about this business for the moment because there are simply too many companies competing for customers. But eventually, I think there's a huge opportunity for anyone who can come in and consolidate the industry profitably. Which brings me to Supergroup, the parent company of Betway, an online sports book with a large presence in Europe and a small but growing U.S. business, which is about to merge with Sports Entertainment Acquisitions Corp. That's a SPAC that exists to roll up this fragmented business. I know we've had a ton of hideous SPAC deals, but Supergroup is a rare sports betting stock that's got both growth and profitability. If this deal goes the way most SPAC mergers have gone recently, then I wouldn't be surprised if the stock gets hit as a force of SPAC habit, but that might be a buying opportunity. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with our groupman, the chairman and CFO of Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. More importantly, the designated chairman of Supergroup. He's going to stick with the company, get a better read on the story. Mr. Groupman, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Thank you, Jim. Condolences on your Eagles, but look on the bright side. You, you, you were ahead of the Giants and the, and the Redskins. Well, that's true. Sorry, the Washington but, football team. Yeah, all I can tell you is, is that it, is that football's more fun than ever, which brings me right immediately. Uh, you used to be the executive <laughs> yes, vice president of the NFL. Wild card weekend. How good was it for your company? Well, it was a terrific uh, time for the fans, and I'm sure the um, – the sports betting customers out there of the world had a terrific time as well, not only with great entertainment, but with those very rich offerings for a lot of companies, one of which was not ours. Um, so uh, a lot of companies are doing that right now, but that's not really Supergroup's game. Okay, so what is your game? How do we differentiate you from the other guys? Because, you know, the other guys' stocks keep falling and falling. Well, you know, Jim, at some point a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago, you, I remember you saying that none of these are investable. And you might have been right at the time, but I, I think that's going to turn, which is to say new markets with no incumbents are always very competitive. Why there's no one to exert discipline and show that you can still get and keep customers with a good customer experience. And so it's a mad dash for market share. And add to that, that the capital markets in America wanted for months and months and months growth at any cost. And of course, that behavior that you're seeing was really entirely rational. Capital markets wanted it. That was the model. And you have each state in America is a new market. And so you have this intense competition because there are no incumbents and everyone thinks they have to get market share to survive. That will rationalize. And it will probably rationalize pretty quickly now that the market has uh, shown its own level of discipline. Well, uh, I do have to question the the cost of acquisition. For instance, uh, Betway promo code, if you had it, you had a $250 risk-free bet on Wild Card Weekend, $250 wager on the Rams to beat the Cardinals would pay $382 if they were to win. However, if the Rams were to somehow lose, Betway Sportsbook would credit your account for $250. That's not bad. I mean, how many of those times can you do, though? Well, you can do those for a short period of time with a select group of people that are first getting introduced to your platform, but it cannot be your core business model. And the customers coming in the door, you have to have an offering that's a good enough customer experience driven by tech. That means they will stay for a long time. And if you look at the cohort aging for a company like Supergroup, you'll be able to see that they keep a large percentage of their customers for a very long time. And you can't do that without giving them a good experience and good entertainment. Now, one of the things that I've come to learn about SPACs is that the people who are in your chair tend to leave, but you're not. You're going to stay on designated as chairman. Second, there's almost no analyst coverage, but you've done your deal with Goldman Sachs. Is there any chance that you will have people actually write about your company so that we can figure out how they're doing? I've got about 300 companies. I can't even figure out how they're doing. Yes, we did an analyst teach-in day that was extremely well attended. Um, I think we're likely to get coverage from analysts in the gaming sector, analysts in the e-commerce and tech sector, because, you know, this there's not an easy set of comps for a 100% online entertainment company 
in the gaming space. So I think it's going to be covered by a hybrid of people. They'll come with their own points of view and opinions. And I think that um, shareholders or potential shareholders who want to read that kind of information will be able to get it. Yes, I think that's going to happen. One last question. There's a great page in your deck which talks about strategic partnerships, commercial comfort for new partners, ability to offer partners non-cash consideration in commercial deals. Well, I watch all the different networks. Some are more interested in sports than others. None of them seems to figure out betting. I would figure out that you could be a partner of ESPN. You could be a partner of TNT when they do basketball. I mean, I have to believe that they have to look at an outfit like yours with real pedigree and say, we have got to make some of this money. Look, when you step back and, and, and look at what companies in one part of the entertainment space want to do and the linkages that are occurring, um, yes, you can imagine that I call it the elephant dance of M&A. And it, and it goes back to this investable concept. Does the market value for these things come down? Um, but strategies that are winning emerge. There's going to be strategic activity. So... I think being in the game is what's important, which brings me to Supergroup. And I just think back to when we negotiated this deal almost a year ago, almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to rest it on these crazy multiples. And we right. didn't want to rest it on crazy five-year projections. We wanted to rest it on an existing business model that had proved profitable in ups and downs over years. And then we wanted to rest it on a discounted cash flow analysis. And that's what we did, stress tested where some things can go wrong. And since then, since that 12-month period, what has happened? The company has performed against its projections. It's opened up in double-digit new markets. It's stacked up nearly $400 million cash on the balance sheet. And it's projecting growth at an unchanged 2022 projection. I just can't find that many things in my landscape that look like that. No, you're absolutely right, Eric. I've known you for many, many years, and you're a truth teller and a money maker. I want to thank Eric Grubman, Chairman, CFO of Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp, SEAH, one of the, well, maybe one of the four or five SPACs that I even believe in. Thank you, Eric. Good to see you. Likewise, Jim. Take care. Went a little longer because I am very interested in this company. We have money SPAC in Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. It is time. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Let's start with Gary Virginia. Gary. Booyah, Jim Kramer. Oh, booyah. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much, man, for taking my telephone call. Oh, sure. I'm a part of, I'm getting your newsletter. I'm part of your investment club. Uh, you were singing the praises of Ford and GE a long time ago last yes, year, Yes, I man. was. Thank I got you in very much for of- saying that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's genuine. It's true. You have a great heart and great mind. Thank you. Uh, Ford and GE are my number one and number three stocks now. And uh, But I have a third one. I'm heavily positioned in my financial stock portfolio with Covetra, C-V-E-T. You know, I want you to do that. I actually think this group is so oversold. You know, we had Zoetis on last week. I think Animal Health is here to stay. I saw, by the way, that uh, 
Wow. I don't know if you saw this uh, Petco, how badly that's doing, but that's got a bad uh, balance sheet. I like your company because I like prescription management and pets. Let's go to Ken in New Jersey. Ken. Hey, Jim. My stock hit a 52-week low today. What are your thoughts on Viva? Oh, my. They have decided that Viva has never done anything right, and yet it's consistently done things right. But it isn't 56 times earnings. You're going to have to give it some birth. That means it's going to be able to still go down a little before it gets cheap, and we want cheap. Patrick in Pennsylvania. Patrick. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Oh, Chill Man was in evidence this weekend. What's up? Thanks for all you do. Tough weekend for our Eagles and tough day for the market. It's all right. Hey, at least there's the Cowboys lost to make it feel a little better. There you go. All right, hovering around a 52-week low and 5G headline risk. What are your thoughts on T-Mobile? I think Mike Seifert is a winner. If I had to start a position in T-Mobile, I probably would start some right here. It does sell at a high multiple, but it's making a ton of money. Let's go to John in Massachusetts. John. Hey, Jim, I'm combined buying, considering buying a SPAC that has been out for about six months now. I consider by a lot of older high-time aircraft and posted a $59 million loss in Q3. What do you think about Wheels Up? Right. I like UP Kenny Dichter very much, but I am not recommending SPACs uh, unless they're making money. And the last I looked, that one and not making a lot of money. And that's the problem. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, shareholders of this game maker just leveled up in a big way. What does this mega marriage mean for Microsoft after their blockbuster offer? Kramer double taps the X button next. Are you kidding me? That's what I said when I heard from Bobby Kotick this morning. He's the CEO of Activision Blizzard. After hearing that he's selling the entire company to Microsoft for $69 billion, a huge premium above where the stock was trading. Just a colossal home run for you if you're a shareholder. The moment the deal was announced, we had heard that Bobby had no choice but to sell because he's been taking a ton of flack for presiding over what sounds like a very ugly corporate culture. Put it lightly. The Wall Street Journal laid it all out this morning, along with all the firings and resignations. It was brutal, and I don't want to downplay this. Real problem. But I think the focus on this stuff buries the lead. What's the real story? How about Microsoft finding value at Activision because its stock was seriously damaged, even though the enterprise is pretty much intact? And this is the company that's produced Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Overwatch, not to mention buying the makers of Candy Crush, the mobile sensation, which my wife plays incessantly in any show that I'm watching that has any sort of like tension to it, like Mayor of Kingstown or Succession, season three. Consider that Microsoft bought LinkedIn a few years ago for $26 billion after it missed a quarter and its stock got cut almost in half. Microsoft is the most opportunistic of companies. They know to buy when others are selling, and they take advantage of their stellar balance sheet by using cash to pay for the deal. $69 billion, practically a rounding error for Microsoft. There are a whole host of reasons why Activision Blizzard fits into the Microsoft family. They're trying to take over the video game industry with the Xbox business. It has more than 100 million users. They need to feed the beast with more intellectual property that they own, not borrow. At the same time, Activision, they can help them catch up in the metaverse race. Even if you don't believe in the technology, and I know a lot of younger people are dubious, Wall Street is totally in love with the concept. And that's what will matter for the foreseeable future. I'm willing to bet on the metaverse long term, though. It's a chief reason why the Chapel Trust keeps sticking with NVIDIA, as we highlighted in our morning media for the CNBC Investing Club today. First time. 
Now, we live in a strange world right now where we expect Biden's Federal uh, Trade Commission, the FTC, to reflexively block all mergers. I asked Bobby about it this morning on Squawking the Street. He ticked off a host of competitors that still exist in the space of electronic arts, Take-Two, Tencent. Don't forget Apple, Amazon, Sony, Nintendo. However, the stock is still trading at a huge discount to the bid. It's at $82. Microsoft's paying 95 in cash. That's because there's a suspicion that some governments around the world might try to block this deal. Argue that it's anti-competitive. Historically, this kind of deal should be able to pass the antitrust muster because there will still be plenty of other players in the industry. But I'm worried the Biden FTC might want to stake out a broad new territory of deals that it doesn't want to see. And this new territory could include anything big, even if it seems to be a bit of a stretch to say we need to be protected from high cost of gaming. But to me, the Microsoft Activision deal is an important reminder that many profitable companies are worth a lot more than their stocks are selling for. A good reminder to get on a hideous down day like this one. You think you're smarter than Microsoft? I know I'm not. It's not just Activision Blizzard. GlaxoSmithKline spending off its consumer products business caught a $68 billion takeover bid from Unilever. Unilever's down 7 bucks on this um, because Unilever wants to pivot toward healthcare. I can't believe Glaxo turned them down. These brands are as prosaic as they get. Advil, Polydin, Excedrin, Tums, Chapstick, that's capital S, Nicorette, Sensodyne. I use that. Wow. The idea that the division could be worth anything north of $50 billion seemed crazy not that long ago. Now, Unilever's willing to pay 68 bill. The fact that Glaxo shot them down is pure greed. Greed. It's very disappointing. Still, I want you to take heart today. Even as portfolio managers are fleeing, fleeing the stock market because of, yes, an uptick in interest rates, gigantic companies like Microsoft and Unilever, well, they see value that's hidden in plain sight. Their massive takeover bid, 68 and $69 billion, suggests that whatever's ailing this market will pass, at least for the stocks of companies that are profitable. The unprofitable, sell them. Not the good stuff. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.